as always, uh, I enjoy the, the opportunity to, to fellowship with you, to worship and seek the Lord and to be in the presence of the Lord together. Um, so I'm continuing in Second Peter, and uh, for the last several times I've been here, we've been going through the uh, second epistle of Peter, the first chapter. And today we're going to um, take a look at chapter two, but uh, actually the first half of, of our talk this morning or this afternoon will be uh, looking back at the first chapter. Of course, this is, this is a letter that was written and uh, the people that received it would as- assumedly uh, listen to the whole letter or read the whole letter um, in one sitting. And uh, it's always important to, to get the context. And um, if, if we just take a, an isolated part, portion of a letter, and don't uh, see it in the context of the whole, we run the risk of either missing some connections that, uh, that the Lord wants us to make, or perhaps even misunderstanding some things. So I want to take the, I'm going to take half of our time to, to go back to uh, the chapter one. So some of these things we've spoken, out, uh, spoken about before, but I know there are a couple of people here who weren't here last time. And uh, for those of you who were, it's always good to, uh, to be reminded. Uh, in the words of Peter himself, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. <laughs> So, so we're going to go back and uh, look, first of all, uh, to whom is the letter written? To whom is the letter written? Well, the very opening sentence, the very opening verse, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at some some powerful gospel truths and some gospel reminders that we get in this opening of the letter. And just in that first address to to those um, who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right there we see three things. First, we we see that our faith uh, was obtained, and I had mentioned this uh, previously, that the the Greek word there, um, lakano, uh, is used a couple of other times in the New Testament. And uh, it, it's translated, if you look at the, the Strong's definition, it really means um, received by divine appointment. So there's a couple of other places where it's used. One other place it's used is uh, someone uh, casting lots and getting something by lot, the lot falling to someone. Uh, Peter speaks, uses the word when he speaks of Judas. Uh, when they're looking to replace Judas, uh, they ended up replacing him with Matthias as one of the twelve. But he says he was among us, having been, uh, having obtained an office, you know, uh, as a disciple uh, among us, and uh, that's in the first chapter of Acts. And really, uh, if you look, at, if you have the New King James, there's an alternate translation um, for that word "obtained" with the word "received." Uh, but again, it's, it's something that's that's obtained by divine appointment. It's received. It's given to us. So, so the first thing we see that uh, this letter is to those who have received faith. It's a precious gift from God. Our faith is a gift from God. And secondly, it's received uh, by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, as, as Titus tells us. So it's, it's, it's a faith that's been given to us as a gift from God, not by our works. And thirdly, 
He says it's a precious faith. It's like precious or it's as precious as our faith. If we look at the faith of Peter, all the great things that he, he did, the other the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and we say, wow, they have, they have some faith. But Peter's saying, you have a faith that's just as precious. So it's a, a, a faith that we've received. We've received it by the righteousness of God, and it is precious. And that's to whom he's, he's writing this letter, to us who have received this, this gift. Now to, to us, to all of us who have this gift of faith, he says, grace and peace be multiplied, which is amazing. Grace and peace be multiplied. How often do we think of grace as when the Lord saved us? You know, when that, that wonderful work, when, uh, when we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, when we formerly were children of wrath, but then he made us through the rebirth children of God. And we think of, I was saved by grace, right? It's kind of a one-time thing. But here he's saying, grace be multiplied to you. So that means grace is something continual and something that you can receive, continue to receive and something that builds along with with peace. So grace uh, and peace, Romans 5.1 tells us we have been justified. Having been justified, we have peace with God, right? When we were his enemies, it says later on in that chapter, he made us, or he, uh, um, he saved us by his own blood. In, in, in Colossians, he made peace by the blood of his cross, right? We have peace and fellowship with God. We're no longer enemies. But this peace and this grace is multiplied to us. It's multiplied. So how are the grace and peace multiplied to us? through this gospel, through this faith, this gift of faith we've been given. Well, he, in v- verse 3, he continues. He says, um, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, as, that the Greek word hos, is, it means uh, in this manner. So, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, in this manner, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and uh, th- that pertain that um, it really the idea there is is uh, leading bringing us to life and godliness that life that that eternal life that we read we heard about in the the first John um, passage true life and godliness uh, being transformed into the image of the Son our Savior. So um, this grace is being multiplied to us as we're being transformed, right? As we're being transformed. As 2 Corinthians 3 says, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So in this, as his divine power has given us this grace that's working on us now, we're being transformed into the image of, 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 of our Savior. And how is that? Well, he says it's through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of him, right? Uh, in, in verse two, uh, grace and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, in verse three. Uh, he's given us all things, bringing us to life and godliness, leading us to, to life and godliness through 
the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So it's in the knowledge, right? That, that intimate, familiar knowledge. We know Christ through spending time with him in his word, through prayer, through fellowship with his body, through the gathering of the saints, where, uh, and by, by the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's through this knowledge that we, we receive and experience this grace and this peace that's being multiplied and building in our lives through this faith that has been given to us by, by God himself, by his righteousness as a gift, as a precious gift. So that's the gospel right there. Peter opens up his letter with the gospel. It's, it's a beautiful reminder. <clears throat> and, and he says, by these things, right, right in verse 4, um, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 3, Oh, no, yes, verse 4. Um, by which these things, uh, we've, we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. These things, this peace, this grace that's multiplying, this divine power at work in our lives, these are great and precious promises. And it's through these things, these gifts from God in the gospel, that we are made partakers of the divine nature, it says in verse 4, and that we uh, um, have escaped the corruption or the destruction that is in the world through lust. So these things deliver us from the destruction that comes through sin, destruction that's in the world, that's upon the world because of God's judgment on sin. So this is good news, good news. And it's in light of these things, it's because of these things, it's on the basis of these great and precious promises these exceedingly great and precious promises that we are then urged to add to our faith in verse 5, um, virtue and knowledge and self-control, perseverance and godliness, brotherly kindness and love. It says um, in, in verse 5, it says, for this very reason, because of all these precious and great promises that have been given to us because of his divine power at work in us, because of these things, it's on the basis of these things, it's uh, through these things that we are urged to, um, to let these, uh, these characteristics of faith abound in our lives. And it's interesting, when, he, when uh, Peter introduces that list of, of qualities that mark, uh, mark the faith that we've been given, he says, uh, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. That add is the Greek word is uh, epikorageo, um, which in some versions they, they translate it supply, with the idea of, of furnishing or supplying or presenting something. Um, and it's, it's interesting because Peter uses the exact same word in verse 11 at the end of that whole train of thought where he says, for so an entrance will be epikorageo, will be um, supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, it, it's on the basis of um, this, what he's giving to us, what he will supply to us. He it says, uh, for an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that verse 11, the very first word is for, 
or we can think of the word because, um, and then uh, for in this way, for so, or in like manner, an entrance will be supplied to you. Just like he just said, supply your faith, these qualities, right? Because for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that will be supplied. It's kind of that future looking, right? So at the last point I, I want to, to bring out here is that what Peter is doing, what he's being so uh, diligent to remind us of in this letter, in the opening of this letter, is our salvation through the gospel. And it's a salvation that's past. It's what he's already done, right? Having escaped the destruction that is in the world through, through lust. He's, he has delivered us from that. He has given us a precious faith, right? It's a salvation we have been given. It's a salvation we are being given, right? He is his divine grace, divine power uh, working, this grace working in our lives has given us all that we need for life and godliness. So it's a salvation that's working now by God's grace. And it's a salvation that's future looking. He's saying, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? When we obtain fully that inheritance, as Peter says in his first letter, that's kept in heaven for us, un imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who are being guarded through faith, through that gift of faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. So it's a salvation that's past, present, and future. What wonderful news. So as we consider that, and we, we see how Peter is so uh, urgent to remind us of these things, well, as we move into chapter 2 now, we see a very different kind of teaching. A teaching that's, that's opposed to this gospel that Peter has been reminding us of in the first chapter. So I want to take a look at uh, these, this, this, these false teachers. What characterizes these false teachers? And what characterizes their teaching? And how is it different from the gospel that we have received? <clears throat> well, first of all, we notice these false teachers, what are they motivated by? They're motivated by coveting and greed. Right? Verse 1, he says, um, he says, uh, there, will also, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. In verse 3, it says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. What is covetousness? What does it mean to covet? Well, we think about the law that God gave through Moses. What's the 10th commandment? Thou shalt not covet, right? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's uh, possessions, his wife, his, his servants, his animals, anything. You shall not covet what belongs to your neighbor, right? So coveting at its, at its root is desiring what does not rightfully belong to us, right? Um, and it's going to anything else for satisfaction and life. Um, so it's it, this fall, the false teachers that Peter is warning us, us of, 
are motivated by coveting, by desiring something that does not rightfully belong to them. Let's look at uh, in verse 13. It says, uh, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it, uh, those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, their spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. You see this desire to for pleasure, for carousing. And then verse 14, having eyes full of adultery. Adultery is really the outworking of coveting, right? Desiring something that does not rightfully belong to you and not being satisfied until you have it. <clears throat> and actually the deception is that once you do have it, it really doesn't satisfy. But, um, but eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. It drives them in further into sin. Um, Later, they have a heart trained in covetous practices, right? That idea of coveting again, desiring something that does not rightfully belong to them. In verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And he was rebuked for his iniquity by his donkey. And if you recall, uh, Balaam was, was asked by Balak, to come and curse the, the people of Israel. As he saw the people of Israel coming through and God blessing them and giving them success wherever they went and destroying um, all of God's enemies, Balak said, well, we need to do something about this people before they get here. And so he called Balaam, this prophet, and said, curse them for me. And Balaam said, well, let me, let me see what the Lord will do because I cannot go beyond what the Lord says. And... Um, which was true. He sought the Lord and the Lord said, you're not to curse his people. They are blessed. And so Balaam goes back to, to Balak the king and says, I'm sorry, I can't curse them. The Lord will not curse them. In fact, he's going to bless them. And Balak says, I will give you whatever you want. I'll give you all of my possessions in my house. Just curse them for me. And, Balak, and Balaam says, I told you, even if you offer me everything you have, I can't do it unless the Lord says, but wait here. Let me go um, sacrifice. Let me go see the Lord again. He wasn't content with the Lord saying no, right? What was he motivated by? Well, maybe if I can get the Lord to change his mind, then I can get this stuff from Balak. Three times uh, he seeks the Lord, is told the same thing, tells Balak the same thing, but goes back. And then later on, we learn that, that ultimately Balaam um, uh, advised Balak to, to uh, entice the the uh, Israelite men to uh, to intermingle with their women and get them to fall that way. Um, but in Balaam, there is not a heart after the righteousness of God. There's a heart of greed. And he kept, kept pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And that's why the angel of the Lord met him on the road on the donkey, right? To tell him, um, basically, Balaam, you're pursuing. You're pursuing destruction and death. Um, so you have... Uh, here, Peter's telling us, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. That's what his heart was set on. Again, that coveting, that, that, that desiring. Um, so, we see uh, th that the, the false teachers are motivated by coveting and greed. And any teaching that focuses on getting something, um, that, that does not rightfully belong to us is not the gospel. 
It doesn't come from the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Hebrews, uh, in chapter, the end of chapter 10, it says, um, it, it talks about, remember when you um, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, knowing that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one in Christ Jesus. So the gospel does not teach us to, to desire the things of the world, right? What did first, we read in 1 John this morning, or this afternoon, uh, in 1 John, it says that the desires of the world uh, do not have a love for the things in the world, for the, the, uh, that which is in the world, the lusts or the desire of the flesh, the lust or desire of the eyes and the pride of life, Another translation is pride of possessions, pride in possessions, the things. These are not of the Father, but of this world, and the world is passing away. So, so if there's a teacher that is appealing to your sense of desiring the things in the world, that is not a teaching us for Lord. So that's what the, the false teacher is motivated by, according to this passage. Um, what does the, their teaching lead to? What does their teaching lead to according to the passage? Well, it says they, in the, the opening, it says, uh, the false teachers among you will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, bring on themselves swift destruction. In verse uh uh, verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words, right? They will exploit you. Um, so how do they exploit people? Well, they use people for their own gains, but they also deceive people. It says they secretly bring in destructive heresies. Um, another translation for that word secretly is craftily. You can think of the, the, the serpent in the garden. He was crafty, right? And how did he? How did he tempt Eve? What did he appeal to? He got her to start focusing on what she didn't have, what didn't rightfully belong to her, and what and to get her to, to think, I'm missing out on something that would fulfill me. Right? That cut appealing to that to that coveting spirit. And it's crafty because it focuses your, focuses your attention on something that will not truly give you life, but will actually bring death, right? Um, if you look in uh, verses um, 14, it says, Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. So they're t again, their teachings entice others to covet and to desire that which is not ours. He says um, in verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure. Again, that's the, the crafty deceptiveness. They allure through what? Through the lusts of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So again, it's, it's appealing. Um, to, to the lusts of the flesh, right? And the things of the world, as John said, right? The, um, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the pride of, of, of possessions. It, it leads people to, um, to desire and run after those things. And promising 
them liberty in verse 19, while they promised them liberty, right? What did, what did Satan try and uh, promise Eve through the fruit? If you eat of this fruit, you won't die. No, you will become what? Like God, knowing good and evil. You'll have something you don't have now. It's, um, so it's, it's appealing to this, this desire. And then it says she saw the, eye, the, the fruit and saw that it was pleasing to the eye and good for food, good to the flesh, right? An appeal. So the false teacher's teaching uh, drives us to, to focus on and desire the things of the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, uh, and the pride of life. Contrary to what Jesus teaches us in the gospel, right? Uh, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow him, to crucify, as, as, as um, Paul says, to crucify the flesh. And again, as in the writers of Hebrew reminds us, to, um, to joyfully accept the plundering of our property, knowing that we ourselves has a, have a greater possession and an abiding one in heaven. So it, it, the teaching of the false teachers leads us to sin, to, to desire uh, to desire the things of the world. The false teacher's teaching also eventually leads to denying the faith. Denying the faith. And in the, the beginning of the chapter, he says, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, craftily bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Even denying the Lord who bought them. Well, first, um, denying the Lord, denying the gospel, right? Because what does the gospel tell us? The gospel is God's gift, free gift to the world so that we might be saved from the destruction of sin, saved from the wrath of the Father so that peace, we're, we're, we're brought peace with God. No longer are we children of wrath or children of God. We have peace with the Father. And that's the gospel. And so the gospel tells us, and that's why the, the call is repent, Repent means to turn away from sin and to turn to God. And so if you have a teaching that's telling you, no, it's okay to turn back to sin, that's not the gospel. That's denying the gospel that the Lord Jesus is, uh, preaches. And ultimately, it even leads to denying the faith. Uh, I've heard recently there have been uh, many publicized deconversions, they call them, by, by people professing uh, teachers and preachers. Um, who are they're turning from the faith and saying, I, I don't believe this stuff anymore. That those that once preached uh, the faith, now they're denying the faith. And I believe, as, as Peter gives us insight here, I believe that um, at least some of these men are, were, are, are motivated by the desires uh, of the world. And, um, and it's one thing that we as Christians also ought to be very sensitive to in, in our churches too, um, there's constantly, uh, Satan will use people, will use false teachers to, to again, craftily bring in um, destructive heresies, things that are not going to appear as, as uh, contrary to the gospel uh, very loudly. They're, they're not going to put, you know, neon lights around saying, this is a heresy. <laughs> no, it's going it's to present itself as something that's Christian and biblical, you know. Real Christians accept this, or real Christians accept that, and it sneaks in that way. And then we start being led down that road. Being we 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 uh, are led into the love 
of the things of the world, love of the world. And then ultimately it leads uh, people to deny Jesus, to deny the faith of the master um, who bought them. And we'll see, um, uh, lest we think that this is uh, teaching um, against what we believe, at that when we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot be unsaved. Right? One saved, always saved. Um, we've been saved before the foundations of the world. Uh, but it, I, in fact, I'll take a minute just to note this now. Um, at the very end, I just want you to turn to the, the last um, three, uh, in the chapter 2, verse 20 through 20 through 22. He says, um, For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to not to have known the way of righteousness and having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. And I believe that holy commandment is the gospel. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And the proverb doesn't say the dog or the sow were transformed and became a, a sheep of the living God and the sheep in his fold. No, it says, it just says they returned back to what they came from because they were never truly changed. And as, as we uh, read in first John, it says they went out from us because they were never of us. And it just, that end, what that ended, their lifestyle ended up uh, manifesting what was true from the beginning, that they were uh, never truly of us. So uh, lest you be tempted to think, oh, could I lose my salvation? That's not what this is teaching. This is just teaching that if your heart has never been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, then even though you're in a church and you start um, getting into a position, you're teaching and preaching the word. If you've never been changed by the Holy Spirit, eventually you're just going to go back. <clears throat> um, so... So it leads, this false teaching uh, leads to denial of the faith, denial of the gospel and denial of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, I, uh, I want to uh, bring to our attention that this false teaching leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. Throughout this entire passage, um, there are uh, numerous um, sobering reminders of the destruction that comes uh, through um through this uh, living in accordance with the world, it says, you know, and again, in that first verse that we read, there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So these heresies destroy, they destroy souls uh, and they bring swift destruction in verse 3, by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. The destruction will come. And then he gives us uh, three very sobering reminders. God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He mentions Noah, uh, preserved from the destruction that came upon the ancient world because of unrighteousness and sin. And then he mentions Lot, and we read that passage earlier in the service, um, who, who was delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah that was destroyed 
because uh, of its sin. And um, these are warnings that the Lord is serious about sin and destruction, the destruction that comes with the world and all of its desires, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the, the pride of life. The destruction is a serious thing and it will come. But he reminds us, the Lord also knows how, also knows, just like, just as he knows how to deliver the, um, or to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, so he also knows how to deliver the godly. And that godliness, where does that come from? Again, remembering, hearkening back to the first chapter, the godliness that comes through the faith that's been given to us as a gift, that comes through the grace that's been given to us as a gift, that comes bringing the divine power in our lives, um, leading us to, to, uh, to life and godliness. So he knows that the Lord is working in you. He knows how to deliver you. And you will be delivered. And so we don't have to be afraid of the judgment to come. Because if we are in Christ Jesus, we will be delivered. We have been delivered. We are being delivered. And we will be delivered. As, as he said in verse 11, the first chapter, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. But if you're not in Christ, that destruction is very serious, very sobering, and it, is, it, is an, an, it will be an eternal destruction, separation from God and hell. Now, I want you to um, just consider in that passage we read of, of Lot's escape, God rescuing Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And did you notice his wife? What was the difference between he and his wife? What did his wife do? I think she it was still attached to the old way, and that's why she turned around and left. Yeah, she looked back. And angels, uh, the, the angel of the Lord that came to, to, to rescue them, th yeah, three times said, get out, get out. And then one of the times he said, get out and don't look back. Don't look back. Exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. Was that when he says, uh, anyone who puts his hand to the plow? Uh, yeah, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the context. but um, So that's a, that's a very sobering reminder. Right? As a friend of mine used to say, um, uh, she was taken out of Sodom, but Sodom was never taken out of her. Yeah. In other words, it was still in her heart. And, and I believe that's what this, this second chapter of, of uh, Second Peter is reminding us, these false prophets, that the heart that was entangled in the world never left them. It was still in them. It was still in them. That's right. That's right. And so this is my, um, this is what I want to, uh, for us to, to, to rem remember as we go away, as I wrap up here. Um, there's two things uh, that, two directions that we're pulled in. One is to look at the gospel, to look at our salvation, how we have been saved, how we are being saved, and how we will be saved. Looking it to Christ, to looking to his gospel and everything that he has done. Or we look to the world and we get enticed 
by the, the, the coveting, the, the adulteries, the lusts of the world, right? The, the desires is what you are spending time uh, meditating on, the teaching you're, you're, you spend time listening to, is that appealing to the lusts of the world, the desires of the world? Or is it, is it, is it, is it encouraging you to meditate and look on the salvation and Jesus and the gospel? And if you, because it is a process, are, are being saved, we are being saved and we will be saved and we haven't yet reached the final uh, consummation of all things when we will be glorified. Yep. And so we do still struggle with the old nature. And if you find yourself falling into that and, fall, and being enticed by the, by the desires of the world, Peter's reminding you, don't look back. Look to the gospel. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Look, remember what he has done for you. Remember what he is doing for, for you. And remember what he will do for you. Look to Jesus. And um, that, is, that is our encouragement uh, for today. Not look back. Not look back to the world. Look to Jesus. And to what, what uh, all the treasures, the exceedingly great and precious promises that we have in his gospel. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for these exceeding great and precious promises that are ours in Jesus. We thank you for your great salvation. We thank you that you have delivered us from death and from the domain of darkness. We thank you that you have delivered us from the destruction of sin. We thank you that you've brought us into the beloved, the kingdom of your beloved son, into your marvelous light. And God, we ask that you continue to give us eyes to behold your glory, to look upon your face, and that we would be transformed from glory to glory, that you would give us that, that perseverance um, to, to run the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Lord. God, let your word continue uh, to, to shape us, to mold us, to grow us, and may your grace and peace be multiplied to us today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.